Welcome to episode 10 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Tuesday, January 8th, 2007. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Welcome to the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This is episode number 10. With us today, Carlton Reed from BikeBiz.com, Tim Jackson, the Mozzie guy, and the media mogul himself, the Rupert Mur- Murdoch of the cycling world, Tim Grawl. Good morning and afternoon, gentlemen. Good morning. Hey, you know, it's been a while since we've, we've done one of these. I think the last one we did was our, our yearly roundup of 2006. And I'm not going to get extremely pedantic and ask you for your predictions for 2007 because personally, I think we all predict, unfortunately, more controversy in the world of cycling. But that's what makes this show so great. So let's get started with it. And the first controversy for this year, I mean, the year is young. And here comes Pat McQuaid, the head of the UCI, coming out and claiming that there's a culture clash, in his words, in the world of cycling between what he calls the Anglo-Saxon culture and the so-called mafia culture of some of the other Western European countries. And I think a lot of people were, were, were pretty clear in thinking that he was talking about the Spanish and the Italians. You know, I'm going to play the, the audio clip right now so that everybody can hear it. There is a, a clash going on at the moment between two cultures, the Anglo-Saxon culture and what I might call the, the, the mafia Western European culture. The Western European culture is a culture which has to some extent, I won't say condone doping or condone <coughs> cheating practices, but because of the, the, their, their culture in life, because of the way they deal with everything else in life, they accept certain practices. The Anglo-Saxon, which would be here, it would be Germany, it would be the UK, it would be Denmark, um, is the complete opposite. And they, they have a, a completely different approach to, to, the doping, to the doping fight. And it's seen, it's evident in when you see the, the approach that teams have made, the German teams in particular, who had a major problem in, in July, um, and the approach that they've taken to, to looking at the, 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 the future and how they, how they move forward into the, into the future. And it's important, I feel, it's very important that at the end of the day, the Anglo-Saxon approach wins out. Because if it doesn't, than the sport is doomed. So, what do you guys think of that? I mean, I, th- I think that McQuaid is, is, I don't know, did he stick his foot in his mouth? Is he, uh, is he long for his job? Carlton, as our resident European, what the heck is going on? I, I kind of see where he's coming from. The, the, the Western European culture is, for sure, very different. Um, to, to the mafia culture, if, if that's what uh, he wants to call it. I interviewed Basso last year, uh, before all of the, the brouhaha broke out, and uh, one of the questions I put to him was, how about doping allegations? How are they seen in Italy? And he made this indication of uh, his hand above his head, as though nobody in Italy really cares. It's just in one ear uh, to the other ear. Nobody in Italy is that bothered about allegations of doping. It, 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 it doesn't play in the same way as it uh, plays in America and in, uh, in the non-mafia countries. But do you think that mafia was really the right term to use here? Um, is that really the, the, the right way to describe what should be your, your, your partners in, in helping to solve the doping problem? 
I think Pat is uh, following the Dick Pound rule of of votes. He's just picking really abusive stuff out of the air, and of course that's why we were talking about it. And it's exactly how Dick Pound he gets his his quotes uh, around the world. He, he he picks abusive stuff out, and and journalists pick him up on that. And I think Pat is uh, he's been mixing with Dick far too long. Well, I, I guess I'm going to going to come back to Dick Pound in a second because he he certainly said some things recently that were pretty inflammatory and, and caused a reaction. But at least for me, it's it seems like if you are the leader of an organization, a worldwide organization like the UCI or like WADA, that that it's important that you you, you don't say these inflammatory things because you're, you're looking for partnership from all of these countries and all of these people, and to simply flatly come out and insult them. I don't think that that's the way to get things done. Tim Jackson, what do you think? Yeah, as the leader of an organization like that, he's supposed to, for one, he's supposed to rise above that sort of name-calling and finger-pointing anyway. He's supposed to be a consensus builder between all the different fractions of the organization because, let's face it, the governing bodies, uh, in, in reference to the UCI, the various governing bodies uh, throughout all the countries, and then the pro-tour organization and then the grand tour organizations they don't exactly get along so for him to continue to stir the pot and create angst and disrest among all of unrest among all of them is just doesn't make any sense to me and at least here in the US when you refer to someone as you know being mafia like it's pretty much a racial slur and for him to toss that around, I don't know. It, it would, you know, him being Irish, I guess it would be kind of like someone just calling him a stupid Mick. And that, I don't see how that would exactly sit well with him. The Spokesman's well, Round understand. Table podcast does not encourage the use of racial slurs. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I don't understand what he's trying to what he's trying to get at here, what he's trying to accomplish by saying this kind of stuff, because like you said, it's just going to create more division. So I don't really see, is he just talking without thinking, or is he actually trying to accomplish something? And if so, what is that with what he's saying? You know, I, I guess I understand, like Carlton, I understand where he's coming from in saying right. that there are some camps that are trying. Take, you know, he's talking about the German teams. Look, T-Mobile is really trying to take a proactive stance against doping to make sure that their riders are not on the juice. I get that part. And I also get the part that he's saying that there are some people who are not being as proactive. But I think that the way in which he presented it will cloud the overall message. And that's the problem. That's the problem when you have somebody who's leading an organization. If they can't separate their their visceral emotion from the, the, the ability to get things done and actually be a consensus builder, then my personal opinion is they shouldn't be leading the organization. Consensus right, absolutely, because UCI, very different. Well, but, but you're right. Right now, consensus building and the UCI are different, but don't you think that that's what's necessary in order to move forward? Of course, yes. But uh, consecutive leaders of the UCI haven't been of that build. Uh, it went through our, our whole... Um, process a couple of years ago to get the new guy in. Quite a lot of people didn't want Pat McQuaid because he was seen as the Wednesday stooge because we're just getting into racial um, stereotyping again of um, Hein Verbruggen. But he, he was Verbruggen's man. 
and Verbruggen wasn't a very um, good consensus builder. Pat McQuaid isn't a very good consensus builder. And, and Pat, unfortunately, does tend to uh, talk before he thinks. And I've come up with a number of times where <coughs> he said things which he later retracts. However, on this particular example, you actually got an audio quote there because it was on a, um, a, a Dutch TV station, I believe, first. And then various other places have, have taken it. So you can't retract that statement. But he does have a habit of retracting statements to, to journalists when he, he, he then thinks about what he's actually said. Here he can't. So it's just a, a fine example of, of him being caught out, really, and, 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 and not a very nice way. Do you think that this also has something to do with, as Tim Jackson mentioned, the feud with the Grand Tours? I mean, look, two of those uh, countries that are involved in that feud are Spain and Italy. And so do you think that, that part of this has to do with that? Tim Jackson, what do you think? But it certainly can't improve that relationship. That was one of the th thoughts that I had. Whether it was targeted at them or not, it it certainly doesn't help his position or the UCI's position when they meet with the Grand Tour organizers to discuss the future of the Pro Tour and the Grand Tour's involvement. I mean, that's they've got a bad relationship to begin with, so if he's throwing out these slurs like that before any further meetings with them, that's... That's nailing one foot to the floor. Well, you know, from from one outrageous commenter to another, Tim Grawl on the Crooked Cog, you you talked about the Wired magazine story where Dick Pound went off once again on Floyd Landis. You want to bring us up to date on that? Yeah, I um, I'm a subscriber to Wired, and uh, they had a whole issue on or the main uh, part of the issue was basically talking about the human body and how it can be improved through science and that kind of thing. Of course, there was a big article on what's been going on with doping, and it centered on Dick Pound. And now it was a really long article, and so it didn't just talk about uh, things that we've talked about on this show, but it did go through how he started WADA and, again, how he's probably not the right person to lead it because of all the things he says. Well, the last... Uh, the last paragraph in the article read like this. Late in our conversation, I tell Pound that I'm going to talk to Landis. Royd Floyd, he says. His nickname on the circus was Royd Floyd. So the last thing that he left the journalist with was calling Floyd Landis Royd Floyd way before he's ever been convicted. And so I think just like he keeps doing, he keeps being the trial and jury before that actually gets to happen for the cyclists. And don't forget, I think this is one of the... Yeah, I was going to say, it. The, the last line of that quote is, is even more damning in my mind, where he says, but I repeat it as hearsay only. Right, right. Hearsay, that's not evidence, it's hearsay. I thought this was supposed to be free of conjecture and hearsay. Carlton, what were you going to say? Well, well, just to add to that point, really, for a start, he's a lawyer, so he knows when hopefully not to get caught out and he can, he can add those kind of interjections in so people then think, oh well at least he's, he's got a get out clause there but then you go to the New York Times article which um, is, is recent um, seventh I think uh, where he's similarly been caught by a journalist but this one by a, a one who's a bit more um, favourable to, to Pound but still carries this, um, this stuff where um, Pound is talking about 
the 11 to 1 uh, testosterone to epitestosterone and is then saying that uh, Floyd is obviously so high on, on juice that he should be violating every virgin because he's, he's, he's got so much testosterone. Which Floyd then came back very, very angrily the very next day on his own website um, saying, why isn't Pound even reading his own um, lab's findings? Because Floyd does not have a high testosterone at all if it's anything into the low to normal to low. So Pound doesn't seem to have an even basic grasp of the Floyd Landers case, which, which hinges on testosterone levels, yet he doesn't have high testosterone levels. So to accuse him of violating every virgin in an area uh, is, is, is pretty terrible stuff, again, from the, the head of an organization who you'd think would, would know better. But I think Dick has got a lot of his uh, $22 million uh, budget, a lot of his money because he sticks his neck out because he, he, he has these incredibly wild uh, quotes and he's a quote machine and so the mass media everybody quotes him because they think it's very funny and uh, Wada gets talked about and then Wada gets more money you know it, that that comment from Floyd wasn't just on his website it was actually sent to the New York Times and published in the New York Times in it he said Mr. Pound should conduct himself in a manner consistent with the seriousness of the unsubstantiated allegations against me and the damage they have caused to a great number of people. He then went on to say, Mr. Pound's published reference to the testosterone in my system proves he has not even bothered to review the facts regarding the unsubstantiated allegations against me. My testosterone levels were tested as normal following stage 17 of the 2006 Tour de France, and this fact is clear to anyone who cares to review the lab data. Obviously, Landis is upset, but I think that he's con conducting himself um, at a much higher level of discourse than either McQuaid or Pound. And, and, you know, I think in the end that's going to win Floyd even more public sympathy and even more support uh, in his fight. Now, there was a recent ruling by the Court of Arbitration for Sport in, the, in favor of a writer uh, who was in a similar situation to Floyd uh, this was the rider Landaluz, and he, I guess he won the Dauphiné Libéré a couple of years ago. Yeah, Inigo Landaluz. Yeah, and, and he tested, it was a very similar case to Floyd's, he tested positive for testosterone, and it was the exact same lab that did the testing. And you'll remember that Floyd's case right now is hinging on the fact that the lab broke WADA's rules, its procedural rules, in the way that it handled his samples. That's exactly how the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled in favor of Inigo Landaluz, and now Floyd is hoping that that's going to help him as well. Carlton, I, I think you told me about a new website and a new fund in Floyd's favor. Tell us about that and how that's going to help him. Well, it's the, it's the Floyd Fairness Fund, and uh, the way I've been plugging it on, uh, on my website is that it's, yes, it's uh, money goes to, to fight his particular case, and, uh, and that can be up to uh, from $500,000 to perhaps up to $2 million, but uh, when his case is over, the money will be rolled over to fight for all athletes who are often, lots of them are often, hauled over the coals um, by WADA, by their respective uh, anti-doping agencies in their, their, their home countries, and, and do not get a fair fight. So the, the, the Floyd Fair... Um, Fairness Fighting Fund uh, could grow into a, 
not a wider pizza, but certainly something that can actually go up against water and pay for, for, for legal representation for, for athletes so accused. So did you donate? Uh, am I allowed to say yes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I actually gave, shall I tell you how much? I gave $50. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a substantial amount of money. Are they are, are they uh, tallying how much how much they've uh, they've collected, or are they going to be releasing that information as time goes on? Everything else has been very open with them. You know, they're, they're, Floyd is the first athlete, of course, to, to, to ask for an open um, arbitration hearing. So I'm sure they will. But of course, I don't think the PayPal things will, will raise much more than than a, a few thousand dollars. Uh, he's going to get his money from um, people like uh, Diesel and the, the Discovery. Billionaires Club, you know those guys who are uh, stinking rich, ride bikes, tend to hang out with uh, uh, the Discovery team people, and just have a lot of money to, to put into these funds. And uh, like Floyd, probably like Lance, and uh, want to to put some money into an organisation like this. So if you want to raise a couple of hundred thousand dollars. You're not going to raise it from, from people like me on PayPal. You're going to raise it from those guys who are seriously rich. Sure, sure. That does do a good job of uh, PR for his his personal fight and raising awareness for other athletes at the same time mm -hmm. as as a nice little byproduct. And and again, I think it's 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 a totally higher level of discourse than than the, you know the officials. And I think that that makes a difference in in the way yeah. that the public perceives these guys. You're well, do you think that in a sorry? Do you think that in a way though that could actually hurt the other side? Because if I mean, obviously, like we've talked about, journalism likes to grab the uh, big headlines, the out of control sayings, and that kind of thing. So, should there be people on the other side being just as uh, out there and just as in people's faces, and so that media will get the other side? Because I think we've talked about it before. In the eyes of most of the public, and the people like I talk to, because people, you know, most of my friends don't know anything about cycling, so they always ask me, and they always assume that Floyd is guilty and that that's already done and in the past when it isn't, and that's because the people on the side that are saying that he's guilty are the more belligerent people. So maybe we should be a little more fight fire with fire, if um, if the if things like this have any chance of putting a stop to people like Dick Pound and what they're saying. It's interesting, you know. I think that from what from what I can tell from the way that Floyd and his camp have acted, I think that that their thinking must be: if we take the high road and if we are gentlemen about the way that we handle ourselves, when we are finally vindicated, it it will show that we were doing the right thing all along, that we were acting properly all along. And it'll show these other guys to be, to be. I mean, I don't know if incompetence is the right word, but but certainly it will show them up. I, I, it seems to me that that's the way, that's the road they're taking. And I'm not saying that's like morally or integrity wise. I would say that's probably the right way. Yeah. But if he's vindicated and they're completely nice and polite about it, nobody's going to talk about the fact that he was vindicated. You know, it's interesting. I had a, I had a. A listener of mine sent me an audio comment. He's got a, a podcast in, in Holland. And he was saying, you know, exactly what you're saying. 
here was this this athlete in Holland. He was a famous racer, and he was uh, accused of doping, and it ruined his career, it ruined his life. And then in the end, he was vindicated. And whereas the allegations were always on the front page, the the the, the article that talked about him having been cleared of the allegations was on like page twenty five of the newspaper. Yeah. And people right. And what if that. he had? What if he had come out with statements just off the wall and attacking Dick Pound and whoever attacked him, then they would have been on the front page and people would have read about it. I mean, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but maybe maybe it is the right way to do it. Maybe if that's what it takes to put the sport back in a good light, maybe we shouldn't be so worried about being polite and just say what needs to be said and, and say it in a harsh way so that people will actually talk about it and hear about it. I think Floyd should the, just start doing all his interviews in a speedo from now on. <laughs> and he doesn't have to say anything outrageous, but he'll he'll get attention for it. But then they'll really still take the higher ground. <laughs> then they'll really think he's doping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know the the American public. If they saw how skinny a cyclist is, they'd probably say, "There's no way he's doping." They Dopers get huge, not guy. skinny. Yeah, exactly. Shaved legs? Come on. <laughs> Well, let's let's move let's move on from here. I don't think we're going to settle this. I think I think that uh, I think we'll, time will tell which approach was the right approach. Although I think in the case of Floyd Landis, if he is vindicated, I really do think that that'll be front page news. I think that you'll see him making the the talk show circuit once again, the Larry Kings and the Jay Leno's and people like that, just like he did when the allegations came out. Don't you guys think so? It, well, it's maybe, certainly my hope. Well, I think. I don't know, to a certain extent it will be because of the Tour de France, but I'm thinking in general with other athletes, it's going to hit the front page news if they're said they're doping, and then people come out and say they're doping. And then, just like it happened to the guy you were speaking of, it's going to be back page news when they're vindicated. Well, well let me ask so, you this. Do you, think that, do you think that most people, I think a lot of people heard about, we were talking about this before we started the show, Tim, I think a lot of people heard about Marion Jones and her allegedly positive A sample. Do you think a lot of people then heard that when her B sample came back negative that she was therefore cleared of doping, or do you think people are just thinking of her as a doper? I think, I think people, people are just thinking of her as a doper, yeah. Right, and I mean, even if Floyd Landis is vindicated, most of the non-cyclist people, especially in America, are going to be like, oh, isn't he the guy that doped and won the Tour de France? Why is he even racing again? So, I mean... That's always going to be there unless it's put in everybody's face that he wasn't. So I'd love to see him get on talk shows and everything like that. But if he goes on those and he's boring and just says, yeah, you know, it just ended up, it just turned out in my favor and that's really great. He's not going to be on many shows because they want big headlines. They want stuff that's controversial. So I would say, you know, he needs to get on and say exactly what he feels, exactly what he thinks about the whole process, and give some headlines and give a little controversy if he wants himself to be vindicated to the public and the sport as well. I think you should talk to Tom Cruise's PR people and see what it takes to be a couch jumper. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's any special training in that. I mean, it's kind of like doing plyometrics, so like box jumps, so he could probably do it. Well, he was, you know, Tom Cruise was probably doping at the time anyway. <laughs> careful. He's probably still doping. Hold on, careful, guys. There's a, there's a lot of money behind Tom Cruise. I really don't want to get sued. <laughs> well, we're going to move on here. Uh, I think we've, we've sunk to the depths now. 
Um, hey, let's talk about the the perennial winter cycling sport of cyclocross. Something that uh, I have vowed that when winter two well two thousand seven two thousand eight comes around, I'm going to have a cyclocross bike, and I'm going to get into it because as a as a former mountain biker and now as a roadie, it just looks like a lot of fun. Um, it kicks butt. Yeah, Tim. And, Tim, Tim, and you can get a mozzie now, right? That's so correct. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I just have to. Honey, you should mention cyclocross. You know, it's funny. I got I got an email from a listener who said, "You know, I love the spokesman. It's great, but you know, it, it really would be great to have somebody else from another bike company on besides the guy from Mozzie." And, <laughs> no, hold on. And and I thought to myself, you know, and I and I responded. I said, "You know, one of the great things about Tim Jackson is he's not plugging his product every single second, as a lot of people do." Um, you know, Tim Crawl does it for him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to uh, bring my product into it if I can. Yeah, I, I try not to talk about how awesome Mozzie bikes are and how you should just buy one. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's talk about cyclocross in general. Tim Jackson, tell me a little bit about Bart Wellens and the Bart Wellens story, and maybe Carlton can, can jump in and, and supplement where necessary. I was going to say, Carlton's really the genius when it comes to this, um, especially since he's the one who brought it up. <laughs> well, then, then Carlton, tell us about Bart Wellens. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tim, Tim knows far more than me, believe me. Oh, God. Okay, well, let's see. Right Bart Wellens was a multiple-time world champion in cyclocross, another great Belgian cross rider. It seems like all the really good ones come from Belgium. Um, so Bart was a repeat world champ for a few years, and then fell from grace, so to speak, when he didn't manage to win the world championships again and, and kind of had a, a string of a few seasons that were not up to his uh, former record with the, the great wins that he had. Uh, now Sven Nies is the king of Belgian cross and is the current reigning world champ. Um, and Wellens just recently pulled off uh, quite the upset in some people's minds and not quite the upset in other people's minds by re-winning the Belgian national championship in cyclocross. All of this happening right wasn't before the, the world championships. Was it the European? Um, I thought it was the Belgian. You know where it was, uh, he was just ahead it's of. It's the Belgian uh, title, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I told you, Tim, you more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just follow the details more. I don't know. Um, I could do that. <laughs> I was I was trying to draw that connection, um, but it, it's it, 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 to me it's a great story because I like Bart Wellens. He's just a, a classy rider, and Sven Nice actually is a classy guy too. It seems like the the best of the Belgians are just classy riders uh, in general. Um, so it's it's a neat story for Wellens to retake the Belgian title and become the the national hero heading into the World Championships. Now all of a sudden. He is uh, a major contender in people's minds, once again, to, to take the world title. And it'd be great if he did. Uh, and then add into it that uh, Bart and his family are on a reality show on Belgian TV. Hey, tell me about that. Carlton, you mentioned that in an email you sent to all of us. T tell me if you know anything about this reality show that they're on. Well, it's a docu-soap on Flemish TV, VT4, which I, I, I don't suppose even the hugest of uh, cable stations in the, in the U.S. Would, would ever get for you. Um, I'm sure it's pretty small even in uh, mainland Europe. But it, it's, it's this reality show, which is like number one reality show in the Flemish-speaking part of Belgium. 
and I haven't seen it, but I would love to. But it, it goes into, it's not just about uh, his racing, of course, which is huge, huge, and it's, it's the national sport in Belgium. Um, you know, people that, that, that line the, every single cyclocross course, you know, 10 deep, it's just a, a huge across there. Ringing cowbells yeah, and oh, it's, just, it's just amazing across there. Uh, but it's about his family. It, it, it's just the whole thing about him and the cyclocross is just uh, a little hook for them. So I'm sure him, him winning the, as it hasn't been pointed out to me, the, the Belgian National Cyclocross Championships <laughs> will, have, will have gone down a storm on, on, this, uh, on this reality TV program. So he's like the Ozzy Osbourne of Belgium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Wow. Although I don't think he bites the head off a of bat. <laughs> you know, it's so. I'm not going to digress and get into the Ozzy Osbourne reality show. Um, <laughs> so, so speaking of cyclocross, I have to bring this up, and I know you guys really didn't care when I brought it up, but I thought it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I have the microphone, and I'm going to use it. Uh, Ned Overend won another championship a few weeks ago when he won the his age group, the 50 to 54 age group, in the National Cyclocross Championships here in the United States. And oh, that's that's I, cheating, David. You said he won the champion. I thought he was beating all the young guys. Of course, he's going to win the 50 to 55. You know what's funny is it didn't it didn't say how many people were in the category. I kept wondering oh, yeah. that. I remember I was when I was when I was uh, going around all the mountain bike races as part of my job, and I would you know occasionally do the downhill, and I stank. You know I was just awful. But I I remember we were in Park City, and in my age group in my category there was one other guy. I thought excellent, I, second place. So anyway, I know I think it's man podium. I I think it's cool. You know here's here's Ned Overend who's won all these championships in mountain biking. He's won road biking events. He took second in the Mount Washington Mount Washington Hill Climb this year. A bunch of Xterra events as well. Yeah, I mean I I think it's amazing. The the guy just keeps on keeping on. Nobody has ever. He is the Energizer Bunny. Yeah, nobody's ever said he's doped. No. You know, and and so I I sorry I think it's amazing. So now my question for the three of you. Which ones of the three of you have done cyclocross? I've only done it just to, to goof around. I've, I've yet to do a cross race. I was going to try and do a few this year, but I uh, sent the bike that I was going to be riding off to editor of the magazine so that he could ride it instead. So you know, I took I one for the team. I did one two weeks ago, my first ever, and I was kind of bullish thinking, oh, this is a really bad, muddy course. I'm going to smoke your position here because I've got a mountain bike and they've only got these weedy cross bikes. And I was just flamed. I just, I just couldn't do a thing. The, the mountain bike, it's, it's almost like the, the Mac versus PC here. Here's me thinking the Mac would be, uh, the, uh, the, the mountain bike would be brilliant. And it just, it, it stank in the mud. These cyclocross bikes, I'm sure even Mazzy ones, even better, they are just unbelievably good in these conditions, uh, which are just relatively flat, the odd hill, sports fields. And that is muddy and horrible, but just a fantastic uh, hour of your time. It, I had a, a well of a time before the bike wouldn't wouldn't go any further. <laughs> Tim Grawl, have you ever done one? Uh, no. <laughs> not not I your haven't. thing, huh? Uh, no, not at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was I just I went um I just got my first skinny wheeled bike just a couple months ago. I have a I got one of the Redline nine to fives. Yeah. To commute on. And uh, I'm still getting used to not having big fat tires underneath me. You go a little bit faster, don't you? Yeah, I did uh, like 22 miles yesterday in like in literally just about an hour, so not too bad. Man, you're a and I'm riding it, and I'm riding it fixed gear too, which is a lot of fun. It's Good making boy. me a better rider. 
Yeah. Yes, it is. We'll improve yeah, your pedal stroke, I promise. It's improving it's, that. It's uh, it's a better workout in general, and it's really helping. The thing I didn't think I didn't think about was it's really helping my balance because yes. of having to pedal at high speeds. Usually, I'm just trying to maintain an upright position, where now pedaling was actually throwing me side to side. So I'm learning how to keep my balance a little better, and it's helping my There's tracks. There's nowhere well. to hide a flaw in your pedal stroke on a fixed gear. There's just yeah. nowhere to hide it. So, yeah. so have you, have you seen the T-shirts that say "Ride a Fixie, Go to Jail"? Yes, I love those. <laughs> oh yeah, well, because uh, of the, the, the girl that got it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, because the, of, the whole uh, thing in Oregon, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I just watched the pedal movie that uh, Tim Jackson recommended about the New York Bike Messengers, and it's just completely fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm not to the point where I'll ride without brakes yet, but you know, one day. Tim Jackson, do me a favor. Send me that link. I'll put it to that movie, and I'll put it in the uh, in the show notes so that people can check it out. Tell me about the movie. Uh, it's a fantastic documentary about the the culture of bike messengers in New York City, and it's just such a gripping story. It's it's the the documentary guys did such a great job. They interview great people. They have great footage, and the messengers are just so real. I mean, New York messengers, so they're, you know, of course, they're the best in the world. There are none better. And you get a lot of that in their personality coming through. But their um, their messenger bravado is, is tempered by their humanity, and it's just, it's great. It really is a great movie, and I highly recommend it. And the name of the movie again? Pedal. Very simple, just Pedal. Cool. Send me the link. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for yep. the listeners. And yeah. also, you get the the DVD, and you also get this pretty big book just packed yeah, full of pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great set. It's yeah. definitely worth the 20 bucks or whatever it is on Amazon. Oh, that's great. Very, very cool. Okay, so let's move on from here. And this is the week of January the 8th. And that means that there are all these tech trade shows going on. You have the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. You've got Macworld starting up today in San Francisco. So Carlton found this great little bit from the CES show. Carlton, tell us about it. I guess it's a phone from Motorola. And how does it how does it relate to cycling? Uh, well, the, the, the CEO, Xander, is called of that Motorola, uh, wheeled out this bicycle. And it was like uh, a developing world bicycle. So it's not something that uh, I'm sure David would be, would be seeing on. So it's like a Dutch-type roadster. <laughs> And uh, do you have dynamos across there? You know what yeah, a dynamo sure. Is? Yeah, yeah, for okay. like powering your your headlight and things like that. Yeah, so it's a, it's a dynamo uh, driven mobile uh, cell phone. Should, shouldn't say mobile phone, a cell phone charger, but uh, like the one that was launched in in two thousand, which which uh, I saw, it can actually recharge other devices. So as long as it plugs into a. a a cell phone recharging unit, then you, you can power what you want. So you just pedal along and uh, it'll keep your cell phone charged. And it, it's aimed very much at the developing world. So they're looking at you know, selling this thing to the, the 500,000 uh, Chinese people who still pedal their bikes but may not get uh, a terribly good electricity supply. Maybe it's also good for California. I'd like it just to, uh, to recharge my iPod when I'm on a long ride. Mm. But that's just me. 
Um, so, so it's tech boy. That's, you know, my GPS often runs out of batteries too. So. And you know, my blender, so I can make margaritas while I'm writing. Oh. Exactly. Admit it. You're already twitching thinking about MacWorld today. <laughs> I wish. I wish I was there. And you know, it's true. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so Tim Graw, you found something pretty cool. The because uh, I was ta- well, first I was talking to you guys off the air about this new thing called the Thrust Pack, and it's 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 a uh, it's like a, a propeller pack that goes on on your, your back. It's a backpack. And you control it with your finger. You control the thrust, and it literally pushes you around on your bicycle. And it's that you can find that at thrustpack.com. That's p-a-c.com. And then uh, Tim Grawl, you found something called the Terra Sail. Tell us about that. Yeah, I saw it while I was at Interbike, and um, it was over in the new products uh, part. And so I always like walking through there. You always see all kinds of wild stuff, and they had this. It, I mean, it's a bike with a big boat sail on it, and you can get them um, with uh, little engines on them that are rechargeable and that kind of thing, too, and they're crazy expensive, obviously, and they only use, like, high-end parts. I mean, there's high-end SRAM components. Uh, they have high-end hubs. They have everything is just super nice on this thing, and so I'm talking to the guy, and he's kind of showing me the product or whatever, but what was interesting is that they're street legal in all 50 states, and I just, I just thought that was crazy. And so, like, they they use them, they go to work with them every day, and they're on the roads, and they can get up to somewhere around 40, 45 miles an hour on these things. And they have videos at the site too, and everything. So uh, it's just, it's just pretty wild the kind of this thing is coming out because I've seen the sail sail bikes before, but these guys have really like they're both engineers. Uh, they both really know what they're doing. They put a lot of money into developing this thing, and it seems to be uh, top-notch kind of thing. So, so you can use your your sail bike on the street, but you can't ride your fixie. Is that the message here? Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. it. Oh, and oh, and by the way, Tim Jackson, were those cuckoos your your editorial comment about the Terra sail? <laughs> I'm not saying, <laughs> but yes, yeah, I kind of thought so. Well, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? You, you, what do you want to do? You want uh, a, a, a gas-powered fan on your back that's going to propel you? Do you want a, <laughs> uh, or, or do you want a sail? What's what's the consensus here? What, what cracks me up about this thrust pack thing? I keep looking at the photograph. Is that you control it with a glove and your index finger and the movement of the index finger? So. What happens if you just forget what you're doing and go to pick your nose? I mean, do you just thrust <laughs> off into space? I, I, well, it just cracks me up. And the fact that you control it with your hands. So you're on a bike that's, that, you know, you're not, it's not really built to go 35, 40 miles an hour like this thing says it can push you. And you can only <laughs> have one hand on your handlebars. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't see anybody using that they, anytime soon. They need soon. to think this thing out. You know, have a handlebar control here. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious. You know, I, oh, I wonder yeah. though. Does, I was thinking, does this make uh, be, because now you're you're a motorized vehicle, right? So does this mean that you you have to have a driver's license? Does this mean that you have to register your bike with you know, your local DMV? And you have to have no, brake I, and turn signals. Oh, I don't, well, I'm just thinking about, you know, they always say, you know, mountain bikers fall more often, but it, it's a lot worse when a road biker falls because of the road rash. And, I mean, imagine going 40, 45 miles an hour and then just, you know, falling off your bike. I, I've um, done it. You don't want to do it. 
Yeah, I'm not <clears throat> not interested in that at all. I'll I'll take my and then have a propeller dragging you around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's basically it's basically an airplane propeller with like a souped up uh, weed eater engine on your back. God. I don't know. It's, it it reminds me of like the Rocketeer or something. Oh. You'll get road rash and you'll just keep going. Exactly. More road rash. <laughs> right. It'll just like yeah. carrying you into the ground. Yeah. I can just see people augering like a lawn dart with that thing. <laughs> okay, so I guess the consensus is we want the sail instead of the propeller. Is that it? I, I no, I want both. At the same time? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, going to have the propeller filling up the sail. Oh, you're going to be motor sailing, I see. There you go. So nice. Somebody is going to be in the Darwin Awards next year. With yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of the Darwin Awards, I think we're going to close up the show for today. Um, I think we've had a lot of good conversation, and uh, I don't want to go that much farther with the road rash on the uh, on the thrust pack. So let's just go around the table real quick, let everybody know how they can reach us and, and where we can be found. Uh, just starting at the top of my list here, Carlton Reed, where can you be found? Well, my daily news is at bikebiz.com, and uh, my podcast site is nearly up and running again, and that's it. Quickrelease.tv. But don't go there yet. He's almost done, and it's looking really cool. But just, just, you know, be patient. You've got, you've got to help me out, Dave. You've I got told to you, I'm, I'm, what I'm, I'm ready. I'm, when, when we're off this call, I'm going to help you out. Okay. Uh, Tim Jackson, uh, the the Mozzie guy. Tell us where we can find you. Well, obviously, you can find me at Mozzie guy at mozzieguy.blogspot.com. But you can also check me out at uh, Shut Up and Drink the Kool-Aid or Bicycle Marketing Watch .blogspot.com. And, of course, you can look at the corporate image of the company if you just go to the company website, which is mozzybikes.com. There you go, plugging again. Boy, are you in trouble. <laughs> and Tim Grawl, tell us about your media empire. Uh, well, you can find my personal blog at crookedcog.com. And uh, all the sites are linked off there. My podcast is crookedcogpodcast.com. And you can email me at tim at crookedcog.com. Excellent. I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. And you can email me at thefredcast at gmail.com. And the website for this show is www.the-spokesmen.com. Com. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank everyone for staying subscribed. And of course, thank my fellow spokesmen today, Carlton Reed, Tim Jackson, and Tim Grawl. We will be back in just two weeks with another edition of The Spokesman. Until then, get out there and ride.